evening, everybody. Um, great to be back uh, amongst you. Um, someone said to me as I was um, coming up the stairs this morning, oh, I feel like um, you've not been around for ages. I promise you, I've not been backsliding. Um, I have been with our other communities. You can check up on me and ask around. Um, and, and don't forget to stay in touch with people in our other communities as well, because the whole reason we stay together as one church is really deliberate, because we really believe that encouraging one another and being united in the, the vision and the mission that God has called us to together, we can be be stronger together than if we were all just separate from one another. So, you know, do ask um, people that you know in other communities as well how it's going, how you can pray for them. Um, that would be fantastic. So, um, going to talk a little bit um, this morning about um, the church as a missional community. And um, when we talk about mission, uh, people often think. Um, of traveling, don't they? People often think, when we talk about missions, um, we often conjure up images of people being prayed for and sent off into foreign parts to, to go and preach um, the gospel. Or perhaps, if we've moved on a bit from that in our understanding, we might think about special kind of evangelistic activities. We might think about um, having a fun day in the park, um, or about um, going out um, and maybe worshipping in All Saints Park as, a, as an outreach event, or um, you know, maybe handing out leaflets or, or preaching in the street. Or, but we, we have some kind of, kind of subconscious ideas almost about mission. And the problem with that is that sometimes we can start to think of mission then as a kind of department within the church, as kind of like one activity. So we've got like the worship team, and then we've got like the stewarding team, and then we've got like, I don't know, the hospitality, the teas and the coffees, and, the, and then there's the missions team. And the great thing about that is if you don't really want to have to go out and share the gospel with anyone, um, then what you can do is you can feel more gifted towards one of the other areas. So you can say, actually, I just don't feel gifted in the missions area. I feel more gifted in the worship team or the whatever it is. And, and the danger is that some of us can kind of excuse ourselves from the call of God upon our lives to be a missional people. And I just want to help us to look at the Bible together this morning to remind ourselves that actually that's really daft. Um, we can't do that as the people of God because the church is, by calling and nature and definition, a missional community. That is who we are. We are a people on a mission. We call it making Jesus famous. So let's turn in our Bibles together, um, if you have a Bible with you, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. And I just want to give you a little bit of um, context. I know for many of you this is a familiar passage um, of Scripture. But in Acts chapter 2, um, this incredible event happened where God had promised, Jesus had risen from the dead. We sang a lot this morning, didn't we, about the resurrection and Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus had risen from the dead and he'd spent um, 40 days um, appearing to his disciples, to his followers, and teaching them about the kingdom of God, about God's good and loving rule that is going to come and fill the whole earth. And so he spent those 40 days teaching them, and then he ascended into heaven. And he promised that if they would wait 
in Jerusalem that rather than just going off and trying to do things on their own, if they would wait in Jerusalem, that actually God was about to do what he'd always promised to do, which was to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. And actually, this wouldn't just happen for them, but this would actually happen for all his followers throughout all of history ever since. But it started there and then in Acts chapter 2. This was the first time. So in Acts chapter 2, we read about how that actually happened. About how the, about 120 disciples were together and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they all began to speak in tongues. It was this incredible kind of thing that was going on. There were lots of people there listening. And they all heard, even though they were all like speaking in tongues, they all heard them in their own language. So there might have been, you know, someone from Rome standing next to someone from Mesopotamia. Uh, and they both heard their own languages, even though it was like all these people talking at once. It was amazing. And then people started to say, well, do you know what? They're just like, you know, something was obviously happening because they started to think they're drunk. These people are drunk. So Peter gets up and he starts to explain, these people aren't drunk. This is what God's always promised, that he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. And then Peter starts going through their history the history of the Jewish people, the history of the Bible, and explaining how what they're now experiencing is the fulfillment of what God has always promised. And we're going to pick up um, just the very end of Peter's message to them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's just read those last few verses again together. From verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was a community 
that was growing day by day as people were putting their faith in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I long to be part of that kind of church community where every day we've got a testimony. Every day we've got a testimony of somebody else who's responded to the gospel. The gospel's amazing, isn't it? The gospel of what God has done in our world through Jesus Christ. God's giving of himself so that we could be restored in relationship with God. So that we could be part of what we were always made for. Ruling and reigning with God to bring his good and perfect rule to the ends of the earth. The gospel's amazing. It can take us from being away from God, separated from God, enemies even of God, to being sons and daughters of God. To be included in his plan and purpose, to being his special treasured people, his treasured possession. The gospel's amazing. And this gospel was at work amongst this community. Every day, people responding to the gospel. But when we look at this passage, those last few verses that we've read, we don't find anything about how to design our websites. We don't find anything about the kind of videos we should make or the kind of leaflets we should design. We don't even find anything about the kind of social action projects we should run or the kind of outreach initiatives we should design. What we find in the midst of a passage that tells us about daily salvation is who the community of God's people actually are. I'm not saying that any of those things aren't really good and valuable things. Those are things that we do together as the community of God's people. But the emphasis here in this passage, what God seems to think that we need to understand more than we need to understand the techniques, is we need to understand who we are as the community of God's people. This passage focuses on the way they live together on the way they function together, on their hearts being united together in their mission and their purpose, how they were joined together, how they were all together focused on what they were going after together. This passage describes a culture in which the supernatural is the norm. There's enough, by the way, in the rest of the New Testament to help us to understand it wasn't God's design that it would only ever be the apostles that were doing signs and wonders. But it began there, and God's heart was that actually the whole of the church would be equipped, that the whole of the church would be living out the gospel, putting God's good, amazing, loving rule and reign on display. It's a supernatural environment, a supernatural community, a people who live and function together. And it's a culture of salvation where people are being added all the time as their lives, their eternal destinies are turned around forever. So what can we learn from this passage? We're going to look at some key aspects this morning and just what we've read. What made them a missional community? Well, firstly, in verse 38, when Peter replied to their question, what shall we do? It says this. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I love it when, when God 
the Holy Spirit, through prophetic word, kind of like preaches part of your message for you um, in advance. So we've already heard the exhortation this morning um, to be baptized. In fact, we've already heard loads this morning about resurrection, about the power of Christ's resurrection, about God's victory and its triumph through the resurrection. We've just celebrated Easter. We've been talking lots about the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is so incredible because it is the proof. It is the proof that transformation is possible. That our broken, corrupted, dying world that is broken, corrupted, and dying as a result of our choices as humanity, of our decision to live life our own way rather than God's way. But what the resurrection proves is that Christ's death and Christ's rising from the dead is enough to beat all the power of sin, death, brokenness, corruption. It's a great demonstration of God's ultimate victory. Now, we understand, the Bible teaches us, that there is a resurrection still to come. There's the resurrection of everyone, all those who have died. And when Jesus comes back, and that resurrection takes place, and that everyone stands before God to face judgment, it's at that point that we will see the final completion of everything. Everything will be made perfect. We'll see the fullest expression of God's loving rule and reign. So there will be no more sickness, mourning, crying, death, pain. Everything will be made new. And the old order of things will have completely passed away. We'll all have resurrection bodies. If there's anything you're not happy about with the body you've got at the moment, it'll all be fixed. (laughs) We're going to have resurrection bodies. I don't know what our resurrection bodies are going to completely look like, but they're going to be amazing. (laughs) You're never, never again going to look at yourself in the mirror and go, it's going to be perfect. There is a glorious, amazing future coming. But this is the truth of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has already done, this amazing, complete transformation isn't just a vague hope. isn't just something we cling on to, but it's something we can be absolutely certain of. And actually, more than that, we can begin to experience that total transformation. We can begin to experience that new reality in the here and now. So the community of the church, the community of God's people, is not just any old people. The church is not just a club that came together because they were just kind of like struggling through life and they thought, actually, do you know what? We'll sing a few songs because that will make us feel better. Um, And then we'll hear a motivational speaker and then it will just make us feel a little bit better on a Sunday and hopefully that will last at least until coffee break on Monday morning. But actually, you know, God's plan and purpose is to have a people who have experienced death and resurrection. God's design is that we would be included in the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that we could start to live in what he's doing ultimately in conquering sin and death and brokenness and corruption and bringing transformation, that we could start to live that now. Now, What am I trying to say? I'm trying to help us to understand that in our very nature as the church, although we still experience brokenness, and although we still experience the struggle, although we still experience the not yet as we wait, the truth is we've already gone through death and resurrection in Jesus. And that's what happens through baptism. 
When someone is baptized, something incredible takes place. Something so, so powerful takes place that if you have not been baptized as a believer with faith in your heart, you are going to want to rush forward at the end of this meeting and say, when is the soonest possible that I can be baptized? Because what happens when you are baptized? The Bible teaches you that you identify yourself with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it says repent and be baptized. Turn away from living a life that is centered and focused on you. Turn away from living a life that's all about you and you being in charge and you being in control and realize that actually your meaning and your purpose in life is to live in union with Christ. So turn away from that old life and bury that life once and for all in baptism. You see, baptism, it's not the getting wet, otherwise you just can go in a dry sinner and come out a wet sinner. It's not the getting wet, okay? The sin isn't going to, I know it says wash your sins away, but that's not like literal. But what happens is something spiritually powerful takes place. When you go into that baptismal waters with faith in your heart, what happens is you enter into and identify yourself with the death of Jesus, You bury your old life and you come up out of those waters in the resurrection life of Christ. Now, I'm laboring this point for this reason. The church is a resurrection community. The church is the community of the resurrection. And when you come to gather with the church, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or whether it's in Matthew and Mel's house on a Saturday, or whatever other connect group, or whether it's you gather together, a few, of you, a few of you have said, look, we just need to stand together and pray into this issue. When you come together as the church, you are a resurrection community. You're not just human beings like everybody else, although you are. You are those who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to raise our understanding of the church When you come to be with a church, you come to be with an incredibly powerful and significant people. You come to be with the people who've identified themselves with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You're coming to experience resurrection life in the community of your brothers and sisters. And when the community of God's people, in whatever shape or size, whatever you know, format of their meeting, or whether they're a big, massive, mega church, or whether they're a small, holy huddle in the midst of a really challenging and struggling place, whenever the church comes together in any place, anywhere in the world, it is powerful and significant. This is a testimony to the power of resurrection, to the power of transformation. These are God's people who he's purchased with his blood. They're not just any old people anymore. Look around you this morning. The people sitting next to you, the people sitting in the row in front of you, in the row behind you, however aware you are of their brokenness, I don't care. They are people who God has purchased with his blood. They are people who have been born again, who have died to their old life, who have been set free from the power of sin and death, who have been raised with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are called and they are holy. They're purchased with Christ's own blood. This is the church. This is the church. And our very existence is mission. Because God could have taken us out of this world. He could have taken us straight away the moment we got born again to be with him. But he said, I want you here in Sydney Street 
in Manchester. I want you meeting together as a community of God's people because I want to put on display for the whole world to see what I can do in the lives of people. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The church is a people who've been set free from the power of sin. The church is the people who are able to encourage one another to live holy lives that are set apart for God. To put the goodness and the glory of God on display. And he says this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, verse 39, is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. Now, this promise that he's referring to is the promise that he's just explained is what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on everyone there and they all began to speak in tongues. In fact, through the New Testament, what we find is when the Holy Spirit is poured out on believers, that they begin to speak in tongues. Now, we believe in the gift of tongues. We believe, the Bible teaches, that when you speak in tongues, you strengthen yourself in the Spirit, and you declare mysteries that your mind can't understand, but it's your spirit communicating directly with God. We believe in the importance of speaking in tongues, and we believe that when we understand what this gift does and accomplishes in our lives, that why would anyone not want to say, God, please I'm seeking you. That's not to judge anyone or condemn anyone. It's just saying we want to encourage everyone to be asking God, to be seeking after this gift, to say, I want everything you've got for me, Lord. And if that's one of the signs of receiving your spirit, I want that too. I want to receive that gift so I can strengthen myself and and, and, and interact with you in, in my personal relationship with you. But it's not everything. It's not like the main thing. It's not like baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about tongues. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about God's people being powerful. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about God's people being anointed. So tongues is one of the things that helps us to strengthen ourselves in that, but actually it's all about moving in all kinds of supernatural ways. The Holy Spirit manifesting himself in all kinds of ways amongst us so that we can put the goodness of God on display so that we can demonstrate the healing that we will see in all its fullness when Jesus comes again but that because we've already taken part in death and resurrection we can start to see it in the here and now we can start to demonstrate this is what it looks like when God rules and reigns this is what it looks like when God is in charge now when we read this when we read about the early church all of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit We cannot fulfill all that God has called us to as the church if we reject the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is God's purpose for every believer. This is what the Bible teaches, that all of us should be crying out to God, seeking God and saying, Lord, yes, you promised, fill me with your spirit. Because actually, I want to lead a life filled with your power and with your anointing so that you can use me however you want to use me to put all that's good about you on display. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for all of us. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, or if you're unsure, or if you haven't yet begun speaking in tongues, don't let that just pass by as something for other people. 
but eagerly desire. As the scripture exhorts us, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Of course, desire with all your heart those gifts that will encourage and build up others. But you know what? You need to be able to build yourself up too if you're going to be able to help others. I want to encourage you, seek after those gifts. Eagerly desiring doesn't look like I asked once 15 years ago, felt a bit of pressure, felt embarrassed, didn't like it, so I decided it wasn't for me. That's not eagerly desiring. I want to encourage you. Maybe you have been discouraged. Maybe you've struggled to understand. I want to encourage you. Be brave. Be bold. Keep seeking. Keep desiring. Your father is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And the Bible says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I want to encourage you, keep asking, keep desiring. Believe that God can use you. This was a supernatural community with signs and wonders being commonplace. Isn't that our desire that that would be our experience, that we would be the resurrection community, where the new life, resurrection power of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, would be readily on display amongst us as his people. It goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. These believers who'd repented, who turned away from living life their old way, their own way apart from God, and they'd given their life to God. They'd been baptized. They'd identified themselves in the death of Jesus, dying to their old way of life, and being raised up in the resurrection life of Christ. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled with the Spirit of God himself, and they were ready to step out in the supernatural. And what did they do? They devoted themselves. Now that word, devoted, think about it for a moment. This is not some kind of casual when I get time. This is not like, well, I've got badminton on Tuesdays and um, the gym on Wednesdays and Pilates on Thursdays um, and I've got, I don't know, Open University on Fridays and then on Saturday morning, I'm just a bit tired out. And No, this was whatever choices I make about life. And by the way, I'm sure Pilates is great. It's not, I, I think I'd probably be quite good at that. But whatever... What, You know, it's great to be, it's really great to take part in things like that, where you get to mix with people around you in the world. We don't want to be all just all the time locked up in a holy little huddle, not affecting and and transforming the world around us. So I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is you have got to be intentional and deliberate about making space in your life to devote yourself to these things. What I am saying is you can't just wait and see what time you've got left at the end of all the other things you felt like doing, and then say, well, I'll just give that to the Lord. You've got to be intentional. You've got to pray. You've got to hold these things in balance and intention and say, God, how should I use my time? And maybe going to Pilates is how you honor the Lord. Maybe that's how you honor the call of God upon your life to be part of a community where you get to share your testimony, you get to be a witness and to interact with people and you get to care for your body and honor the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given you. And that's fantastic, but let it be intentional. Let it be deliberate. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
I want to encourage you, when you read the Bible, and when you hear us teaching, now not everybody who, who stands up here is by ministry gifting an apostle, but in terms of the teaching that we bring as a church, to the church, to us as a people, that teaching, I want to encourage you, devote yourself to putting that into practice. That looks like not just coming on a Sunday, hearing a message, giving it a score out of 10 in your mind, deciding whether you like that particular preacher or not, and then basically just forgetting about it and coming next week and seeing if it's any better. That doesn't look like that, does it? Being devoted. Being devoted to what you're reading in the scriptures, because of course you're reading the original apostles' teaching, and through the explanation of that and the preaching of that and the power of the Holy Spirit, through what is taught in our midst as a community, devoting ourselves to that looks like going away and saying, what do I need to do in my life as a result? How do I need to live differently as a result of what I've just heard? What do I need to pray into? What do I need to seek help from others around me? Maybe I'll go along to connect and I'll meet with other people and I'll start to talk with them about how are you doing? How have you applied that in your life? What does that look like for you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Please, can you pray for me? But being devoted to that teaching, we're not talking about like being groupies and like, you know, playing the latest podcasts from King's Church all the time until you can quote it word for word. We're talking about actually saying what is being said. What, is being, what do I need to put into practice in my life? Now, there is a podcast, and if going over it again helps you to actually start to ask those questions, then great, go for it. Talk about it with other people. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, that word fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, it's basically rooted in, our, in, in the word to share, So when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about sharing. We're talking about sharing our lives together. So when they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to sharing in life together. Now, the next one in the list is the breaking of bread. And that's really interesting because um, Paul teaches the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that though we are many, we are one body because we all share in the one loaf. Now, what he's helping us to understand there is that actually we all share in the life of Jesus. And actually, that helps us to understand our fellowship then, doesn't it? Because we're all sharing in the life of Christ. Therefore, we're united with one another. It's just like Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 when he prayed for unity. And everyone goes straight away in their mind when they hear John 17. Oh, it's the unity of the church. But actually, Jesus is praying first and foremost about our union with God. That he will be in us and us in him, in Jesus, in the same way that the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. But of course, the implication of that is that we will therefore be one with one another. Because if I'm in God and God is in me, and Kofo is in God and God is in Kofo, then Kofo and I are one. Because we're both together in God. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in the same loaf. See, this is the whole thing about understanding the incredible power of the church, of who we are as the resurrection people of God. That these are not just anybodies or nobodies that are sat around you this morning, but these are the children of God. These are the people who God has purchased with his own blood. 
And so we all share in that life and therefore we are one together. And there's something so incredibly powerful that we must learn to grow in and discover together as God's people. You see, Jesus died for you. That is true. Of course he did. He loves you. He knows you by name. God knew you by name before the foundations of the world. God knew you and he chose you and he loves you as an individual. But God's plan and purpose was never about you as just an individual. It was never about me as just an individual. God's plan and purpose was to have a people. God's plan and purpose was to have children. I have three children and I love all of them. And of course I love them as individuals, but they're my children. And I don't just focus on one and think... You know, forget the other two. And I don't just go around thinking all the time about, you know, me and my individual relationship with that one. Because I've got three children and I'm not going to forget the other two. God has got children. He's got a family and his purpose is for us as a family together. And of course he loves you as an individual. But we get so sucked into modern western philosophy that teaches you that it's all about you as an individual and it all becomes about you and your dream and you and your plans and so you find it really hard to understand when you come forward with you and your plans and not everybody else suddenly falls into line and says yes it's all about you and your plan but it can't work that way can it because who's going to do anything because if you're all about you and your plan, but everyone else in, the, in this room is all, all about them and their plan, it's just not going to work. So we have to be united together. We have to be one in heart and purpose. We have to say, God, what's your plan for us? And of course, we're all going to have individual parts to play in that. And we're going to cheer each other on and help each other and strengthen each other in that. So hear the tension of truth there. Hear the tension of truth. I'm not saying God doesn't want to do amazing things for you as an individual, but as part of his church, as part of his people, of his family, his plan and his purpose for us all together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They decided, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me giving myself to prayer. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me having a great prayer relationship with God. I'm sure that applies to them as individuals. But actually, there's plenty as well in the New Testament that helps us to understand they gave themselves to praying together. They gave themselves to praying together, to coming before God as his children together. The Bible teaches us about the power of agreement when we join our hearts together in prayer. What would it look like For us as a community to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to devote ourselves to sharing our life together, to being united in heart and purpose, to passionately pursuing the call of God upon our life together as a community. What would that look like? What would it look like for us to be devoted to breaking bread together, to actually getting to spend time with one another, not just waiting to see if it's going to be breaking of bread this morning on a Sunday, but actually saying, I want to get out and about and amongst God's people. I want to spend time with God's people. I want to make it to connect. I want to invite people around. I want to get bread and wine out and celebrate the life of God that we share in together.
And I want to pray with my brothers and sisters. I want to come before God and cry out for what he wants to do in our world and turn my heart and my mind away from me again and towards what God is doing in our world to put his good and perfect rule on display, that more and more people might know him, that more and more people might be restored into relationship with him, that the life of God's people, the church, the community of God's people would be attractive, would draw people in, would be a demonstration and a witness that transformation is possible, that there would be healing in our midst, That there would be signs, wonders, and miracles. That we would sense the power of God when we worship together, whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's in our homes. That we would be going out into our workplaces and our communities filled with the Spirit of God. That we'd be praying for our colleagues. That we'd be ready to share the gospel with them. That we'd be ready to lay our hands on them and see them healed. That we would give ourselves, that we would say... We as a people, as God's people, will not rely on what the church structures, authorities, leaders, whatever they are, organize, the programs, but that we would be the people of God. That we would be the resurrection people of God all throughout our lives. The church doesn't do mission. The church is mission. You can't opt out And say the mission department is not for me. There's no such thing as the mission department. Everything about being the church is the mission of God. I want to challenge you as I close this morning. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. If you've never been baptized in water with faith in your heart, then I urge you, put that right today. Come and see one of the leaders down the front at the end. Come and speak to someone. We can talk with you. If we need to, then we can explain more, look at scriptures together. But make a decision right now. I'm not going to leave it any longer. If you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to keep eagerly desiring and asking God, And trust him and believe him that he will meet the cry of your heart. I want to invite you, if that's you, when the prayer team come out at the end, come forward and receive prayer. Come and see one of us at the front. We'll pray for you. But whether it happens here this morning or not, and I believe for it to happen here this morning, but whether it happens here this morning or not, I challenge you to keep on desiring until it happens. And I want to challenge us to think, how can we give ourselves to putting teaching into practice, to sharing our our goals, our values, what we're going after together? How can we be devoted to that? How can we devote ourselves to the life together as God's people? How can we give ourselves to praying with one another and not just letting these things pass us by, but being God's amazing, anointed resurrection people on a mission together? Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us with all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.